Well, I'm, I'm glad Steve is fully sanctified and can give grace to the people in the crow's nest, but I believe when I walked up there this morning, Chris and Rusty, and went up the spiral staircase to bring you something that Chris said to me, you know, I watched the TV monitor shake as you came up here. It's kind of like Godzilla approaching a city. <laughs> but Rusty, you stepped in. You stepped in and kindly said, no, it's more like the T-Rex in Jurassic Park when he was... So we're going to go about an hour this morning. I'm not doing well. We've been talking about just the ABCs of Christianity. Once a year, we just kind of walk through what are, what are the basic truths of our faith that we need to remember and to celebrate? What are the things that we're to be about and can be about, as we'll see today, can be about, or those things we can avoid? So we just want to revisit those and rehearse those. Uh, we stopped last week at teaching. Um, Letter T, teaching. Listen, we said last week we all need to be under teaching, but that all of us have a ministry. We may not be called to be teachers of Sunday schools or, 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 or for a small group, but all of us have that ministry and need to be equipped for that because the world, as we'll see in just a minute, are, are, is so confused about so many things. All of us have a great ministry. That's, it's all throughout the book of Acts is teaching be able to teach our coworkers, our neighbors, or if we have children or grandchildren to take up that ministry of teaching. I want to remind you, and you'll see it on social media this week and in our newsletter, uh, but Wesley Biblical Seminary offers what's called an institute September through May of each year. We had 17 people of our church family go through that institute this year. Part one, that, that, that two-hour class, you can either go to class or just watch videos, no homework, uh, but, but it's covering all 66 books of the Bible. What a gift for your own discipleship, but also as you teach and minister to others. And then next year, uh, they're also starting Institute 2. If you've been through Part 1, Part 2 is about theology and then also apologetics. How is it you and I defend our faith? And if you'll agree to find a way in our teaching ministry, whether as a substitute teacher or a VBS volunteer, our church will scholarship half of that. Uh, for you. So we want to encourage you to grow and equip yourself in that ministry of teaching. So we're walking through every letter. We're going to stay with T. We've gone A through T. I know some of you are just waiting to see what I do with the word or the letter X, right? You've been waiting for that. It's mid-May. I still haven't gotten my appointment letter from the bishop. So many of you may be holding on. Maybe you'll be our ex-pastor. So maybe that's why you're holding on. Well, let's look at this word T today in James. You know where we're going, and it's temptation. It's a good word, but it's also a difficult word. If you keep your Bibles open, what do we see here? And you can also look on your notes page in the bulletin. What we see from the beginning of this passage is a reminder that temptation is universal. It comes to all of us. It, it, it's, it's a reminder here just at the beginning of this passage. It's not when, uh, not if you are tempted, but when. And I'm going to be looking a lot at Paul today as well, not just James, but going back to Corinthians because there's so much going on in that church where they're tempted in so many ways, relationally, spiritually, uh, so much brokenness in that church. But what Paul says to the church in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is, no temptation has overtaken you but such is as common to all men, to all of us. Everyone you know has wrestled with and struggled with. Even that wonderful 
family member that you think has never muttered a, a bad word or had a bad thought to, to brother so-and-so at the Holy Apostolic Church of the Revelation or to the beloved pastors and staff you've known, everybody has wrestled with temptation. All of us, it comes to all of us. A matter of fact, following in your notes, it, it came to Jesus. If Jesus was tempted, all of us are tempted. Hear these words from Hebrews 2.18. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. You get to his really first public act of ministry after his baptism. It's in the wilderness in a time of temptation. And it doesn't stop then. Do you remember what it says after one of those accounts? It says the devil left him for an opportune time. He was coming back and he continues to come back. Temptation is universal for us. It was for Christ. And it's a beautiful sign, by the way, of our Savior. That he doesn't he doesn't say from above, but he's entered into our world and into our lives. He's taken on our flesh. Fully God, yes. A pure heart, yes. No sin, correct. But did his flesh rage at him? You think about that. To have left the glory of heaven above and then to step into our stuff. He loved us that much so that he could be a high priest who could sympathize with our weaknesses, know where we struggle and say, not only am I going to defeat death, but I'm going to defeat sin so you don't have to say yes to temptation anymore. It was universal for us, universal for him. And here's a reminder too, uh, in a very real sense, temptation is pretty uniform and how it comes to us. You see that in verse 13. It, it typically comes in, in, in the same way in a threefold pattern. I've given you some verses here. You can look it up later. But you remember in, in the Garden of Eden, when they looked at the fruit of the tree, it was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and desirable to make one wise. When you get to the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness, same threefold pattern, stones to bread, worship me, throw yourself down. You get to 1 John, the reminder is the lust of the, the, the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. All of us are tempted in some ways, but probably, if I had to do some guesswork, one of those three areas is pulling at you more. And the sad reminder for us is, too often, we live in our strengths and we don't shore up those weaknesses. Every time the city of Jerusalem fell, it came from the same corner. Less of a ridge, less of a mountain for people to come. Why, why don't you shore that up? We've all been there. If you've watched football or basketball team, how are they letting their best player beat us? Why aren't they double teaming that receiver or double or triple teaming that particular player? It's a reminder in scripture. There, there may be an area of weakness for you. How are you and I shoring that up? Do we need to, we need to acknowledge that area today and say, I, I, need, I, need, to, I need to give more attention to that, that because it's, sadly it's winning the day. Temptation comes to all of us. But as we follow along in verse 13, it's a reminder to us from Jesus' half-brother that temptation is not of God. You say, I know that, but sometimes we can struggle with that. It's, it, the Lord God is free uh, to test us. 
if he wants to do that. A trial or a test can be from God. But you look at the book of Job or elsewhere, people might wrestle with, is this temptation somehow from God? And James helps us put that to, to, to rest. It can't be from God, as James says here, but also Paul again says that God, going back to 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, God's faithful. He wouldn't do that. So where does temptation come from? Where, where, from where does temptation come? If you're going to blame anybody, who do you blame? Try it. Blame, just blame the devil. That's right. If you're going to do anything, that's what, that's what Adam tried. I mean, that's what Eve did. She was smart. Uh, she blamed the devil. Uh, there's a reminder for us here, too. This is not, it is open warfare. And he's a, he's a roaring lion, prowling, seeking whom he might devour. And it's a reminder for us to know that. It's not just us. We're going to get there with James. But you look at Matthew 4, uh, 3, or 1 Thessalonians 3, 5. Uh, Matthew and Paul named the devil as the tempter. And, that, and as we close today, that's going to change how we fight temptation. But also this reminder from 1 Timothy. It's also of the world. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation. And a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. This world can tempt us away. And it's not just this world, it can also be others. Galatians 6.1, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, lest you also be tempted. Others can draw us into sin. And it can even be here, this reminder. You're just going about your day. You're with a Christian brother or sister. You don't have any kind of temptation on your mind. But then they say something or do something, and all of a sudden, temptation and the birth of sin is right at the doorstep. How careful we have to be with our friendships and our relationships. But James doesn't play nice. He doesn't talk about the devil. He doesn't talk about the world. He doesn't talk about others. James says... It's me, and it's you. When we're carried away by our own lust, you see that in James 14 through 15. Don't deceive yourselves as you think about temptation. It's not on God. It is on us. Don't blame him, but check your own heart and check your own life. We can all be tempted to say, you've given me too much. You promised you wouldn't give me something too difficult to bear, that you wouldn't give me, and we'll talk about it, God always gives a way out. But it's important for us, as we see here, check your own heart, because that can so often be the root of temptation. Temptation, though, and this is a word some of us need to hear, temptation in and of itself is not sin. You see that in verse 15. And the devil doesn't want you to, to believe in that. James says here, temptation can give birth to sin, but in and of itself, it is not sin. Now listen, we may, we may say this temptation, you've been there, I've been there, it's just so heavy. Or, you know, I already feel so bad about this, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I'm going to go ahead and, and do it. We can't fall into that trap because we are to be the first fruits of God. But also, too, sometimes for some of us, it, the temptation feels so not just burdensome but guilt-producing that, that we feel like we're under the guilt of sin and we have not sinned. And so the devil, who is the accuser of the brethren, would love nothing more than to put you under a heavy guilt trip and to weigh you down with something that is not yours. Just because you're tempted does not mean that God has ceased to love too. We can feel that. 
under a heavy burden of temptation? You know who else was tempted? Who did we just say? Jesus. And listen to him talk throughout the Gospel of John and his relationship with his Father and his love for his Father. He, he stood down the devil in the, in, 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 in the wilderness. The devil comes back at opportune times. There is no sense of shame or guilt in Jesus' life. And sometimes we can just, because we're inundated with temptations, just feel dil- dirty and guilty and think God is frustrated with us. Now listen, uh, you know there's a side road we need to go down here. Temptation is not sin, but if you and I are consistently putting ourselves in, in a place of temptation, I've told you before, I had a college roommate who struggled with lust, but he, he had all these movie channels he was subscribed to. And it was like, at some point, it ceases to be temptation for you. And it really is just having that in your room is sin. Because you're willfully putting yourself at a place where you're going to be tempted to, to fall away from what God has for you. So we, we need to be mindful of that. But temptation, for any of us who have a false guilt on our life, don't let the deceiver deceive you. Temptation is not sin. But there's also a good reminder here about us being the fruit, first fruits of God. Verse 18, that giving in to temptation is avoidable. We don't want to miss that. We live sometimes in a Christian culture in the Bible belt that almost sounds like we've got to, you've got to sin with every breath. Now listen, we're all sinners. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But what Chris played for us this morning is that he is mighty to save. He doesn't just save us to, for someday, but it's the goodness of God that he's defeated sin and death. And that you and I can be different. We can be Easter people who live in the fullness of the Spirit and don't have to, as, as we're reminded here, there is no shadow of turning in God. Well, we can live that life. Well, we don't have to bend to every temptation. Second Peter 2.9 says, The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. And it's a good word uh, for us here. Now, how do we do that? We can. How do we do that? There's a reminder if you go back to verse 12. We didn't read that this morning. Uh, James is talking about being under trials. But look, part of that is you and I just, the word there in the Greek is endure or persevere. We have a response as disciples of Jesus to press through, to endure and to just persevere uh, when it comes to being tempted. We do have a responsibility in that. This past Easter was awesome. We had an awesome time of worship together, largest crowd ever. It was just a great day of worship. Easter 2014, before I came to be with you, my past church was not awesome. Easter 2014 uh, began with food poisoning the night before Easter. Now, what do you do when you're a preacher of a church and you got Easter the next day and food poisoning and all the things that go with that didn't sleep the whole night. I finally, of course, fell asleep like at 6 a.m. and got like a 30-minute power nap, but I'm not missing Easter. And so I went up, to, I stayed outside the, the, the uh, sanctuary when it was time for the sermon. I came in, preached for 20 minutes, 
ran back out and was sick and fell asleep for power nap, went in. We actually had Sunday school on Easter. What church does that? But I, I, went, I went and taught Sunday school, went back to the office, had a power nap, got sick, came back out and preached the second service and went to the house. You gut it out. You endure. You persevere because of Jesus. Because of the life that he's gifted to you and called you to do. But listen, if you're just resting in that, you will fall. We have a response, yes. But you watch Jesus' life. You watch what we're called to do and to be in Scripture. It's not just pushing through. Go back to G. Look at the bookends of Jesus' ministry. He, he stares down the devil at the wilderness at the beginning of his public ministry. But we forget how he fought that fight. What does he fight the devil with? The Word of God. Now, he is the Word of God, but he's hidden the Word of God. It's the spiritual disciplines about being in the Word. You want to you fight temptation, it has to be spiritual weapons. That I'm going to have the Word of God in me so I can claim the truths of God. Then when temptation comes, I can throw the Word of God back at the tempter. And it's not just study. It's, it's the spiritual disciplines of fasting. We find him fasting for 40, for 40 days to place him in a position where he can say no to the devil. And then you continue to watch not, how he goes into the, the, the way he even goes into the wilderness. How does he go there? Luke says he's full of the Spirit. And the Spirit compelled him to go. This life of faithfulness, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. And then you get uh, 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 to the very end of that ministry, and it's just like God to send angels to minister him. It's all spiritual. It's not just pushing through in the flesh that I want to honor God with my heart and my mind and my life, but, but it's got to be a spiritual weapon and a spiritual war to stay clean from temptation. And then just go to the very end. Go to the end of Jesus' public ministry in Gethsemane, and where do you find him? You find him at his prayers. Before the cross, you find him, again, in the spiritual discipline of prayer. You want to fight temptation, and here he is. This cup is before me. Will I drink of this cup? Because, partly because of prayer, yes. That's how you yield to God and not yield to temptation. It's spiritual warfare. And also the importance of spiritual counsel. Would you guys stay up with me? I am at the point of death. Would you stay up? Now, they don't, but he's, he's, he's saying, would you corporately, as the body, together, would you stay up with me and fight with me? It's a good reminder to us, uh, as we're faced with temptation, that you and I uh, are, are careful uh, to make sure uh, we attack it with the weapons that we need. Um, especially as we fight, listen, in our current culture, and by the way, I say our current culture, it's been every culture in human history from Genesis 3, and on, 3 on where there's been confusion about the issues of our surrounding sexuality, uh, uh, a disobedience on the area of sexuality. But I go back to it because it's so prevalent, yes, in our society, but also going back to 1 Corinthians and just seeing, yes, they're broken relationally, yes, they're broken in envy, but there's so much, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, so much when Paul's talking about temptation to that church, he brings up that the issues of, of brokenness in that precious gift of God. And again, you just listen to what, go back and read 1 Corinthians today. So much of it is again about not just say no to this, say yes to what God has commanded, 
But there's so much here about the spiritual disciplines, to, to pray or, or, or to fast, to, to even remind couples. He's giving some advice to couples in 1 Corinthians 7. It's not just something physical or emotional. This gift of God is spiritual. And he says to them, after he gives his advice, listen, the devil's coming for you in this area. It's a spiritual battle. And so to be clean in this area, how critical it is for you and I to fight with the weapons that help us win against temptation. Not just our will, not just enduring, but the spiritual disciplines, spiritual godly counsel to fight the spiritual warfare that it is. Listen, I excuse me for this. This is before I knew Sanders here. It's before I knew Jesus, okay? Uh, at Levelwoods Methodist Church. But we got a phone call at my friend's house. I don't want to throw him under the bus. His name is Paige. But we got a, we got a phone call at Paige's house that one of our friends, a girl who lived across the park, some guys were messing with her. And so we ran over to go meet those guys. True story. Seventh grade, South Jackson. I grabbed some metal nunchucks. True story. My other friend David grabs a baseball bat and we go. Now, I'm thankful to God that we didn't actually catch those guys because, number one, I'd have killed myself trying to do some kind of nunchuck swinging with these metal things or I'd end up in juvie. But when a friend of ours, a girlfriend of ours, says, hey, these guys are messing with me, you grab a bat. No, don't grab a bat. When we're pressing through, something is confusing but also overwhelming as sexual temptation or any temptation. Uh, yes, persevere. and You do what God's called for you to do. You avoid what God has said to avoid with that precious gift. But, but you don't find Jesus in his life. You don't see, see Paul in 1 Corinthians saying, just press through. It's in the word. It's in our prayers. It's godly counsel. It's spiritual weapons to avoid temptation. And so we don't have to give in. And by the way, that's an encouraging word. That's how he ends this, this passage. It's an encouraging word. And I say ends this passage. I actually want to go back to the beginning. We didn't read verse 12. If you have your Bibles open, you can look at verse 12. He, he's talking about trials. But I love, I love what he says. It's a good word. And we need when, especially on something as heavy as temptation and trials, we need good news as, as we close this time. You've all heard stories like this, but I read this week of a, you know, people that they ask you, do you want the good news or bad news first? And one particular lawyer had a really terrible uh, murder case and uh, he was talking with his client, and he said, listen, I've just talked with the other side. Do you want the good news or bad news first? And his client said, well, give me the bad news. And he said, well, they've done tests on your DNA and your blood, and it, it is your blood. It's, it's all over the crime scene, He's, and you're going you're gonna to get the chair. Well, what in the world is the good news? Your cholesterol's down 20. So um, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's a touchy subject because all of us struggle with temptation. Let's be real. That's why John Wesley set up class meetings and band meetings to try to get us with other men and women of God, yes, to grow in our faith, but also to keep us from sin. The first question in a small group band meeting was, and the preacher had to go first, how'd you sin this week? Because temptation can be overwhelming, and if it gives birth to sin, guilt can be so heavy. And so I love this, this reminder here. 
as he's talking about trials and he's about to talk about temptation, he reminds us again that God is going to gift us with a crown of life. And not just a crown of life, but he says, your life will be blessed. You follow after his will in trials. You follow after his will in temptations. It's a life that will be blessed. And listen, your life in this world will be a blessing to others. As you and I, tempted as we are, not, not allowing that to give birth to sin, what a gift we can be to a culture that just kind of resigns itself to sin. But you and I are the first fruits. And, and you, you, list, you go back down these verses afterwards. James is not pulling punches. Look at those verses later after our passage. Put aside all filthiness and wickedness. Prove yourselves doer of the words, not merely hearers. Visit the widow and the orphan. Bridle your tongue. Keep yourself unstained. On and on and on. A reminder of what we have to, to avoid because we're his first fruits. What about you this morning? Is there an area you need to name? Maybe you need to name it with a friend as well and say, hey, this is, this is a place of weakness for me. I see it. There's, I see the, in those three general areas, it's here. It's lust of the eyes or it's lust of the flesh or it's the pride of life. I need you to help me with that. Would you, would you pray with me and hold me accountable? Maybe you need to just let that guilt go. Tempted, yes, but that doesn't mean it's been given birth to sin. God didn't give it to you. You need to let that go. Or how is it you and I? need to believe and live into that, that, that temptation's not avoidable, but giving in to temptation is. And we're going to trust God, and we're going to pick up the right weapons to fight it. Let's pray about that. Father, we thank you for this, your word, from one who saw Jesus live a perfect life. A life, yes, in the flesh, but a life without sin. And so, Father, we just pray, as bombarded as we are, that your power, your spirit, but also our response in cooperating with you in our prayer life and our, our study and opening our lives to others, Father, through the spiritual disciplines, that we would, we would have lives that would not be stained by this world, but, Father, would be a blessing, not just to you and, and to ourselves, but to this world. Father, we thank you that you're with us, that you will bless us, that there's a crown of life because of Jesus Christ that awaits us. Father, would you help us as we seek to be your people? In Christ's name we pray, amen.